Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent, it costs half as much as in-house developers. And you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk. We guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish a project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today's guest on the Big Break Software Podcast is Ravi Sau of Strayos. Strayos was started by Ravi in 2016 and helps mining companies with 3D mapping via drones and AI technology. Today, we'll discuss how Ravi came up with the idea, how he built the MVP, and how he made it over the 30,000 MRR hump. How are you today, Ravi? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to discussing uh, the technology. Why don't you start off by uh, just tell me who you are and a little bit about Strayos. Absolutely. So I'm founder and CEO of uh, Strayos. And my background before I started Istrios is in uh, enterprise software, building any type of data platforms, uh, either it's remote sensing data, camera data, or any other machine sensor data. I did that for 12 years before I started uh, my uh, Strayos startup journey. And uh, so that's been my background, worked globally in uh, different countries. Uh, so that gave me exposure to a lot of different, not only just the cultural aspect of developing the tech team, but also how to empathize with the users in different contexts and countries that helped me to successfully launch the MVP for Estreos. And what at Estreos, what we are doing is uh, we are solving one of the problems that happens on a daily basis in the mining uh, mineral extraction process. And we are solving utilizing the data, computer vision data, as well as the drone technology and uh, it's it's a visual 3D visual AI software platform which helps optimize uh, the mineral extraction process for the mining and uh, excavation industry. And it utilizes simply the imagery data to provide the geological insights to understand accurate mineral and rock extraction process. Customers who use our platform, they receive roughly 30% savings in their drilling and excavation costs as well as high quality mineral yield uh, roughly by up to 12% along with zero safety issues. So okay. that's uh, what we do. Huge benefits there. That was a lot of information. So we'll try and unpack some of that a little bit later in the show. But where are you based out of now? We are based in New York, Buffalo, and we have a few team members uh, in different locations as well, like uh, St. Louis and a few team members in India as well. Okay. But are you originally from India? Is that what I understand? Yeah. I'm born and raised in India. Okay, great. We have some great Indian developers as well. But then you moved to the U.S. via work. Is that what it was when you were working for these companies, the Fortune 500 companies you mentioned? Yeah. So part of my role was to work with this 
companies to start their te technology implementation process uh, that led me to uh, not only work directly with the customer facing or business users and usually the part of the job requires you to be in uh, on-site locations so that that gave me a chance to work in different countries and from last uh, uh, eight or ten years i've been here in the united states okay so and your background are you a developer yeah i'm a computer science engineer i started as a programmer uh, developer i still you know if i get a chance love coding and the beginning, my roots are uh, in the programming, yeah. Okay, okay, great. So why don't you take me back to how you came up with the problem? Was was it that you came up with the problem or, or what got you into mining? Because it's a bit of a, sort of a random, you know, industry for you if you're, you know, if you're working in telco and some of these other software companies. How did you get into mining? Yeah, it's kind of I fell into the problem kind of, you know, case here where uh, you don't know nothing about the industry and you uh, you really don't have any idea whether this is a problem or not. And then once you actually fell into the problem, you understand that there is, you know, something needs to be done about this. So that was the situation with me. But uh, just a little bit of backstory here, how it got started. I never wanted to start a company. I mean, uh, I think the only reason I started uh, as a solution or a company that there was a real problem and uh, uh, I thought that we should do something about it. The backstory is considering my background is taking the data from the remote sensing as well as different sensor systems. Uh, I was just working on a small side project where we were looking at how we can take the satellite imagery data as well as the sensor data to understand network level faults and better predict the fault tolerance in the networks, which is basically as a huge repercussions on the uh, geology information as well. During that time, I uh, was also pursuing MBA in St. Louis University, which is Washington University in St. Louis. And one of the my group mate, he uh, came from the mining background. And when he saw this side project, it was an eye-opening uh, situation for him that, you know, there is something he can take it to the industry because he has spent 30 years in this industry dealing with the problems of limited data as well as not really building this digital twin models and predicting scenarios so he understood not only he gave me the walkthrough of the problem but the more and more i understood from the industry users that this is a real problem i was just more passionate to solve this problem and that's where it got started and uh, that's how we got into our first field trials uh, from the industry users okay so is he a co-founder this colleague of yours at the university? Yeah, so it's more kind of an advisor. He was a retired gentleman. He okay. spent like 30, 40 years building like service business, but he has uh, plenty of plethora of like the uh, industry knowledge where which he brought in and we uh, exposed uh, our his knowledge into the tech development early on. Okay, so as I understand, he was the one that says, hey, this is a real problem. You mentioned it was a data problem. That's a bit vague. Can you be more specific about what actually the real core of the problem was that you were trying to solve? Yeah. Mining industry has been around for long. I mean, it's one of the oldest industry. I think the generations and generations has come up and uh, the technology has, you know, we, if you see the several years you know, ago, how mining happened, it's just basically understanding 
where you know possible deposits are right and it's a very uh, vague way of uh, mining now the mining is moving towards much more sustainable mining which is means zero harm and zero you know carbon emission and that's where it's leading towards the current process of the data extra, uh, collection is again it's 40 50 years behind which means they are using handheld equipment to collect data points before every mineral extraction starts right and this process is essentially you are drilling and then you are putting explosives in those drill holes to break the rock into a smaller size and then you are further processing minerals from that this is the cheapest and most effective and efficient way to do that drilling and blasting and but that information to collect the data it's a whole longer process is handheld equipment and that's what we are replacing the handheld equipments to a much more autonomous way of data collection which is utilizing drones or the camera mounted machines basically machines where the cameras are mounted so it's autonomously collecting the data in this case so they are uh, reducing the time from roughly 10 hours to roughly 30 minutes of data collection for entire you know site as well as very accurate uh, collection and this time they're not stopping any uh, operations because they're always you don't want any personnel to be in the mine site because you're, there's always a safety issue so that has been removed itself so that's where we are helping uh, customers and the end users to autonomously collect the data but the interpretation is the next level ai that we have built on top of it okay so as i understand then basically the sales proposition is we save you time and we make it safer for you and we also increase the yields of your mining so is it a pretty easy sale for you i i wish it is a easy sale right you know for every industrial solution the value lies it in explaining the value proposition clearly and we have gotten better there but definitely the safety side as well as the cost side it's a obvious the the information is very apparent for them that uh, is going to make them safer and there is a definite cost benefit because this laser scanners or the handheld equipments are only it requires two people or three people to use it collectively now it's basically autonomously you know you can push a button and it collects the data uh, automatically so that's gone away but the biggest concern about uh, adoption the techno- uh, uh, of this you know platform or the technology is the behavior change they have done the mining industry is going through a generation change where there is uh, highly experienced people very technically driven and they uh, they have done their own information gathering for last 30 40 years and now there is a behavior change that needs to happen right so that the only barrier uh, i have seen in the sales proposition that once we address this how effectively you can get trained as well as there is no disruption happening in your workflow instead it's going to improve your workflow as well as the data is even more better and accurate once we show this as a case study then the adoption happens faster Okay so it sounds to me like probably what happens is the CEO loves the idea of it right because he's in the office but then you get it out to the field techs and there's there's pushback is that what it is You absolutely summarized uh, you know in a nice way where 
at the innovation level, at the uh, management level, because they want their yeah. numbers and they can see that very quickly, I'm sure, and, and the safety and things like that. But then the field techs are sort of stuck in their ways and they're used to going out and using the handheld instruments. As you say, they've been in the industry and there's resistance to change. Is that correct? Yeah, not so much. I think the resistance is because mining engineering I would say it's understaffed at the moment and not because that there is a skill gap there because the industry is at the uh, point where it's an industry which is a very uh, it's an it's one of the essential industry even in the covid time uh, mining industry was the essential industry that was open continuously and we couldn't shut it down i mean uh, so it's a very essential but at the same time the labor shortage is there right and the labor shortage so everybody who is working in the mine site they are overutilized in such a way that day-to-day -day operations what they are doing so they have no bandwidth to think about the new technology adoption at a field level okay. while the ceo or the innovation team pushes the technology but since they have to take care of their day-to-day -day operations it's just no bandwidth there so that's one thing that's been uh, we have seen, and once we address that, we see the uh, frictionless adoption. Okay, about your sales proposition, you have sort of sounds like three. There's the safety, there's the savings on costs, and there's an increase in yield. Which is the most exciting to the CEO or the purchaser of those uh, three? Yeah, so I think if we have to pick one, it would definitely be the yield. Everybody likes to generate a top line revenue, right? And if they can mine better and generate less waste from the same amount of earth extraction that they are doing that's an added benefit for them so not only they can run their plant more effectively and also sell the same yield that they have generated to a higher dollar value to the adjacent industry so that's what they look for the most okay great and how do you handle the drone you make them is that just something that you says we recommend these drones or is it part of the package or how do you do that for your pricing? Yeah, so we are strictly a software, you know, solutions and the AI platform. Okay. Um, we have different drone uh, hardwares that we work with. So we recommend our customers. Most of the time, customers already have the hardware in their site. Uh, if they don't have it, we kind of build a, a full package for them to how, what they can uh, implement. Okay, so that makes sense. So you're totally drone agnostic. You don't yes. care. You just have the software and then it, it uh, works with that. It, but maybe it's just reading the images that come back and that's, yes. all, that's all you care about. So take me back to the MVP. Um, so it seems like your advisor found this problem. When you started building it, Did you was he setting you on to some mining companies for you to get feedback or did... What was how did you get feedback from the mining companies to know that you were building the right uh, and solving the problem correctly? Yeah. Uh, so how it got started is we at a first uh, stance, I was really kind of you know not convinced that this is a real problem, right? Unless I speak to the customer, and so we we got uh, I enrolled into a three day blast you know mining lesson into one of the really reputed mining engineering university and where one of the professor who is an expert in the mineral extraction process gave me a lesson that here is how it goes through the entire mining industry follows this process and this sort of the different step 
And as we started breaking down that this is what the different parts of the process and its entire, not only tedious, but also there is a level of so much uh, safety concerns are there in this entire process. So I started connecting the dots where there are various uh, steps here where the software and the AI can play a huge role here. But after that, we started connecting with different industry players. Either it's an explosives OEM, which works as a service provider in the mining operations or directly with the mining operators. As we started understanding, is this a real problem for the first couple of months? And the continuous pattern that we saw that where you have been, I mean, if we can develop this, we would be not only utilizing this, but also this is going to be a huge help in improving our own uh, safety conditions that we have to always worry about. So not only the operational side, but also the compliance that they usually have to report uh, every you know six months or every year. So these are the two biggest indicators for us uh, or for me uh, personally to whether you know there is an MVP. And one of the things that I always kind of look in terms of the startup development process is finding a godfather, right? Which means picking one or two early customers who are not only willing to test your product, but be so much uh, willing to embed with your entire uh, MVP development process that they are in and out. And that's one of the reasons that we had a couple of customers, you know, our partners who were willing to not only see us succeeding in developing this, but also it became an integral part of their job that they allocated like their, you know, team as well in the uh, field testing process. Were they willing to prepay for the product at all or did they invest in you? They did invest in you? Yeah, they they affronted the first year of the procurement. This is, you know, we would love to kind of go ahead. So that was the initial uh, start that helped us to, you know, uh, not only get to the MVP, but also start rolling out um, and testing different hypotheses. Okay, this is great. So these are my favorite stories when you're able to pre-sell the problem, because it's not many people that are able to do that. But it sounds what you essentially did is you found two customers. The problem was so great that they were like, listen, there's nothing else out there. I need you to build this. And I'm so sure of that. I'll give you a year up in fees. Is that essentially how it happened? Yeah. What did they pay you or what were they willing to say that this was worth a month for them? in terms of pain yeah so uh, initially the mvp cost is roughly north of you know 150k of uh, initial upfront you know prepay development that we uh, we did uh, which is uh, not only helped us get to the mvp point but also getting to understand what really needed to be built as well as the testing because this requires there is a component of the physical data collection as well as the testing this uh, software in the real field environment. That was our biggest, I think, one of the biggest things that we needed to do as a part of this relationship, because we can develop the software, but if it doesn't get tested real right uh, in field testing scenarios, then there are a lot of things can get missed to scale the software for the other customers. Just so I, it was about 150,000 that they gave to you. Did they have to, did you have to give them any equity in the company or is it just no. pre-sale? No. Okay. That's it great. was a pre-sale. Yes. Okay. That's great. And so it sounded to me like 
when you were in this situation, you weren't looking to start your own company, as you say, but you said, okay, well, this is enough. This is a year's salary or whatever that I can safely leave my job and do this for a year. And I think I can build this MVP in a year. Is that sort of your thought process at that time? Yeah, more than that, I think it definitely helped us uh, validate the uh, problem, right? You know, there is a real customer here who's not only willing to... Two, right? You had two yeah. customers. Yeah. yeah, there is a, yeah, you know, two customers which are not only willing to validate the problem, that this is a real problem and they have a skin in the game now, which is always great that because they will not only put the resources, but also my major uh, thing to make any decision is how uh, it's going to change their life once... If this software doesn't exist, or if this will exist, how it will change their life. And they were constant, the team that we were working from our partner side, they saw that as a potential to win more business by showing that they are using this technology. And that was kind of the biggest indicator for us that they are not only uh, willing to give feedback, test it out, but they are seeing this as a potential to grow their own business. That made it clear for me. And that was one of the tipping points for me that we want to kind of build a business where it's, uh, or we want to build a software which it becomes a system of record, but also it helps our customers win more business. And that's a real validation there. And that helped me to kind of, you know, move from my uh, day job to, uh, you know, completely jump in, jump the ship uh, to uh, solve this problem. Okay, great. So did you build the MVP by yourself or did you have to hire a team? Yeah, so initial MVP was kind of done by me. And then once we started specking out the new releases and the new MVP operations, then we hired a couple of team members. And these are, you know, straight out of the, uh, you know, college undergrad, which we made them kind of, you know, fantastic uh, progress, you know, through them. So that was the first uh, version of MVP. So essentially me and just, you know, two members. Is that when you went to India? The guys right out of college or where were they from? No, they were from uh, U.S. Okay, so they were in yep. university with you or something. You yeah. met them in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, okay, so were you pretty excited at this time? Were you like, this is great. How were you feeling? Were you feeling like, oh my God, this is a huge move. This is a big risk. Or were you really excited? I'm really onto something that can change the lives of these mining companies. What were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I think if I remember what I was feeling, obviously it was a big move. I've always been in the role where you have a steady source of not only the income, but also you have you know like what type of role or career move that you're making and uh, going into a completely starting a new thing which is a startup right from the ground up never done something like that before mm -hmm. but i always had that edge of where even in my previous roles i was always creating something new or trying to do something new within the same department or same organization and sometimes it got approved sometimes it got you know it was a success and sometimes it was a complete failure itself so there was always a this mindset was there to to do something uh, more entrepreneurial you know types of venture and this was just more as it came through that there was a problem there and i was kind of uniquely qualified at that point of time as I was speaking with the customer and that made me sure and gave me a confidence that even though there was a nervousness that 
where it will go, which will always be there. Even, you know, there's always there, this nervousness. So it was, it was there, but as I was surrounded by really great partners in terms of those customers, as well as uh, advisor and the early and the family support, which um, is kind of the integral thing in anything that made me kind of jump and made me uh, sure to, this is the right thing to, um, you know, take on. Where did you get the idea to to get the pre-sales that bit? Was that from your advisor or how did you know to do that? And how did you do it? Because that's quite a big ask if you come to a mining company and say, listen, can you give me 75000 or whatever it is for a product that doesn't exist and we'll make? Because it's not going to be custom for them. They're not going to own it. There's no equity in the company. So it's it's a big ask for them. How was that? Tell me how you did that. And was that difficult? And how did that play out for you? Yeah, so that actually came in natural for me because if I would have not done my previous roles uh, in these companies, which is the part of always these roles was to convince and uh, sell an idea or this technology implementation before the technology exists, that this can solve the problem. So it was more of a consultative driven selling as well as more uh, problem-based selling that you know this if this would exist how what are the things that you can accomplish and uh we can help you develop that so as a part of my previous roles that was i was you know mostly doing and i was being uh so that came naturally to me that you know and the skin in the game part uh and i think because of my previous role i've always seen that if there is no skin in the game usually largest of the largest products are uh anything change doesn't happen so i was very firm on that that if this thing doesn't if this thing has to have happened this is what how we can like you know move forward and even though there was a hesitation that you know they've never mining companies are not a software companies right or they're they've never gotten involved into any software development process but there's always hesitation but i think one of the things that was clear that the, the problem was big enough for uh, them that if they were willing to take a bet and they're willing to take a bet by putting their skin uh, in the game. Right. Here. Okay. That makes sense. But presumably these mining companies are also used to dealing with big numbers. You know, they're sort of 10, yeah. $20 million, you know, gross, gross revenues a year. So so 75 is, is a reasonable expenditure for the amount that they might be able to get back. And it also puts them ahead in the industry as sort of front runners in terms of technology, which it sounds like they was very appealing to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So as I understand, you've got your 150 K, how long did the MVP take to complete and how much money did you have to sort of start the company or when you started the company, was it immediately they were able to, because those two customers weren't going to pay you for a year. So how did you transition from MVP to sort of when cash was coming in? So as a, as a first version of the MVP, where we are able to prove that this is what uh, is going to solve your problem at a first basic, you know, which which is kind of, kind of the way I see that is, is this solving the very first fundamental problem? that you wanted us to uh, accomplish. And that was, you know, we were able to accomplish that in uh, four months. So we trade, and then the further iterations that we did, we went to raise your seed round from uh, different angel investors. But by that time, we saw that we already had a product, first workable product, which were being utilized and tested uh, by these two customers. 
and it was ready to catch up to the other customers that we were already working on. So to not only to further iterate the product, build uh, new solutions on top of that existing MVP, as well as scaling to additional 20 customers, we decided to raise a seed money round after four months. Okay. And how much did you go for? So we raised uh, roughly 650K. 650, okay. Yeah. And can you tell me how much equity you had to give up for that? Uh, so for roughly, I think, based on our uh, round at that point of time, it was roughly 15%. 15, okay. So that's a pretty good valuation. So at that time, you have your third customer coming in. What? Tell me about how, how you were first got to say, let's let's call, what was that first customer paying you? Because the other ones had already prepaid you. Yeah. Um, presumably at a seven to eight thousand monthly per account is that right yeah okay and then the second customer how much is he going to be paying you on a monthly yeah so we we structured at that point of time it's, it's still super early we still have not figured it out like you know what the pricing should be right and how they're utilizing so there was like very less data points of like you know how they're using we were just kind of experimenting at that point of time. This is what the possible pricing could be. And we were just getting all the feedback from our first two customers that we had who helped us get started. You tell us like what you see right. uh, and trusting the, their analysis itself because there was a lot of the things was based on the trust at that point of time. We started, the third customer came in was again a referral from them, which means okay. they said that this is what... Uh, this is working, uh, you got to try this, this what, out. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and that's how we uh, landed our third customer. And we were, uh, at that point of time, we were again uh, uh, pricing at roughly two grand per month for that customer. For that customer, so yeah. you were 2,000. And tell me about the, the rollout to the next. How did you get to, say, your first 10 customers? Uh, so it's pretty much all referral. The first 10 customer, if you would... Uh, if I have to go back and look at, uh, it all came from one customer using it and they said, you know, well, this is something, you know, uh, we've been using, we're getting a lot of great results. You should definitely talk to Strayos and see, you know, how uh, they can help you there. And that was just the initial, this type of referral we got. And uh, not only it helped us to obviously reduce our, you know, customer acquisition costs at that point of time was barely kind of just doing an outreach. I mean, we are not doing any huge marketing or advertisement anywhere. But since the validation and the credibility was there from another customer who are already using it, it helped us directly go into the discovery part, you know, really faster mm -hmm. uh, and the implementation part faster rather than trying to convince that this is going to solve your problem. Okay. And so by the time you got to 10 customers, how long did that take? Was it a relatively fast to the 10? Did you hit any roadblocks at any time? And if you did, I want to hear about them. Yeah. So uh, the first five customers were fairly, I think it was referral and uh, it was very easy to get there within, I, I think, roughly 10 months. We were at five. Uh, okay. But then after from five to 10, we saw, we started to see Obviously, as you expand the product, you want to like tweak it and you want to kind of understand as the usage was increasing, we saw that we needed to scale back a little bit and understand really where it would work at MVP level. And as we're expanding this you know, solution, where is the actual value is? So we decided that we're not going to just continue to onboard you know, more and more customers. We're going to slow down our uh, 
and make this product you know really work well for the first 10 customers so from five customers to 10 customers our journey was a little slower because we wanted to go slower and have this you know uh, make it really robust and field ready and scalable at the field level. Okay, so it sounds like it's getting a lot of user feedback at this time. Like, how often were you on the phone with your users? Is this like a daily thing, or like how much were you trying to get user feedback? Because so I think a lot of developers that may be listening to this uh, sometimes ignore this user feedback, which is so is user feedback, which is so essential. Yeah, uh, especially in this uh, industry, which is so much field driven because this application is utilizing the field where we saw that even though you're building this as a cloud first application but it may work perfectly fine where you're in your boardroom or office but when you're traveling to a mine site where they have zero connectivity there are literally no network where you can make a phone call as well right mm -hmm. so uh, how would you utilize the software as you have to apply uh, the data points in your mineral extraction process inside? These were the scenarios that were we did not include it in our MVP, and we saw that this could be... Uh, so we were constantly getting this feedback. And uh, in terms of like how often I was in the customer's you know, user feedback call, for every company, for the first five companies, I always asked our customer that, I uh, have one champion assigned to me and I will make your life 10 times easier. That was kind of my line. Mm -hmm. Give me one champion from your company and I will do, you know, streamline your existing workflows, you know, 10 times better. So they made, uh, this was kind of your confident, uh, assuring them. And it was my way to ask one dedicated person whom I can speak if not on a daily basis, but I have access to them whenever this needed because these guys are busy. So I wanted them direct access. And if for a few companies, we have a regular calls every week with not only our uh, team, but also their, you know, group uh, stakeholders as well, where they were really willing to kind of understand where the software is going or where kind of all this data that has been getting collected, how it's been utilized for the AI uh, uh, development. Okay, great. And are you cash flow positive now? Are you covering your bills from the from your users? Well, it's kind of funny thing because we were cash flow positive, but now we are like really scaling faster. So okay. it's a it's a balance, right? Now. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, that's uh, what you used your seed money for then the six fifty because it sounds like you probably didn't need that much of that, right? Yeah, we were getting. Well, after 10 customers, as we kind of, you know, mentioned, we were uh, slower to get there. But after that, then we started scaling further more. So we hired more people, more developers, and also bringing in uh, distributors. So we uh, started our distribution partnership with different uh, players in the industry, both nationally and internationally as well. So that helped us kind of, you know, not only grow and do a better outreach, but also uh, scale uh, the user adoption as well. And the way we think about it is at this moment where we are really pushing the acceleration of the adoption, uh, and that's why we're not so much worried about the cash flow positive, but really penetrating and accelerating uh, the, market. the market adoption. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, how big is the market? Like how many subscriptions could you possibly, what's the market? Yeah, so... The way we look into it is, is there are roughly 350,000 mine sites globally. 
and uh, each site could be our potential user or potential customer. But a market is also consolidated in certain places. So we think that there are roughly directly in terms of who are our potential customers, either it's mining companies, plus also drilling and uh, explosives services company. There are roughly uh, outstanding, there are roughly 50,000 customers are there who could be uh, directly our potential uh, subscriptions. Okay, great. And what are you at now, around 50 or so? Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. 50, so plenty of room for growth. How's the growth going now? Is totally unaffected by COVID? Because as you said, they're they're considered an essential operation. How's growth been? Yeah, so COVID has thrown a little bit of whack in our sales development and, you know, acceleration, but not so much. Even our existing users, uh, we have not seen any impact where they've continued to use our product. But a lot of the times, the sales process for our uh, platform, it's very demonstrative-based. We, we have to go to the site, first initial, just, uh, you know, train them, as well as it takes a lot more relationship development, a lot more in-person types of selling approaches are there. And that kind of, you know, slowed down our uh, development plan that we have on the sales development plan. But that also shifted uh, to much more virtual-based, you know, customer interaction or the first customer touch point. Because anyways, we are a software platform, we can still sell uh, online. But there was a mindset uh, shift that we have to go through from our customers because every time they are much more inclined to get uh, the decision moving faster when you meet them in person, while the uh, in, uh, virtual meetings are always took longer. But now they themselves are getting adjusted. So we are seeing that actually a, a welcome change for us as well, where we can anyways uh, scale this by being anywhere remotely. Okay, that's great. Ravi, I want to thank you so much for your time. We're coming up to the top of the hour. Can you just maybe before we leave any recommendations for some developers or SaaS founders on the the thinking about pre-sales? Because, you know, I got to be honest, you're you're one of the biggest pre-sellers that, that I've met in the SaaS world. And I've spoken to a lot of SaaS owners. So congratulations on, on your journey to here. Any recommendations just quickly before we leave? Yeah. One of my just, I think, uh, suggestion would be when a founder or um, any entrepreneur is starting uh, and thinking about the pre-sale is really nailing down the problem. And when we think about the pre-sale, think about like how much 10 times business revenue they can increase and quantifying that dollar value that, and then that, you know, uh, pre-sale value should look at as just a drop in the bucket. And if you can show that, if the founder can show that, then the entire process of that, either CEO or CFO who is writing the check for the pre-sale amount, it's nothing for them because they're already seeing that when these things exist, uh, when this technology that you know we are willing to partner with you to build it can help them get easily recover or have generate additional ROI, the sale becomes very easy. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe 10% or something like that. When yeah. you say drop in a bucket to put a number on 10% or something with a 90% return. Yeah. Probably pretty quickly too. Okay. How can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah. So my email is ravi at estreos.com. If somebody wants to chat, uh, we our website is estreos.com. 
that's kind of the best way to reach out. Okay, great. And we'll definitely have that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Ravi. It sounds like a great product and I'm excited to keep track of your journey because it sounds like a great one. Thank you. I appreciate uh, taking your time. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.